from worlds beyond to right at the gaming table. These are All My Fantasy Children. Hello, Junior Wizards. Senior Wizard Aaron here. And I wanted to make a history episode because as the world of All My Fantasy Children continues to grow and the mythos and the legends and the history continues to be developed and we've hit like upwards of 170 pieces of audio media, I wanted a nice reference of a certain age and a certain event that gets brought up a lot in episodes that I kind of just want to finally say, here's what happens. We don't have to keep rehashing it every time it comes up. And it covers a wide range of stuff. That'll help people either jumping in or people who are longtime listeners get a refresher for a certain era in history that comes up all the time. And that era is the era of the five jeweled crown. This is going to wrap up everything in its entirety all the way up to the nocturne, all the way to it ends. And what leads into what we refer to as like modern fantasy, which is things like Samuel Gord, you know, uh, Spot L. Shellman, pretty much everything that happens in the show that we don't specify that happens a long time ago is the modern era. So this is what led up to it. So let's dive right in. Once all five of the relics of the ley lines were discovered, all of the wielders from the five regions, save for Lumina Dawnspear of Dragon, were elevated within their society to a position of leadership. Now, quickly, the five colors of the ley lines are, of course, cyan, blue, red, magenta, and yellow, and these five leaders hold their corresponding relics. Nymphaeolacus of Mooncrescent holds the Quill of Whispered Truths from Cyan, Arthur, the Azure of Iron Hill, holds the Azure Eyes of the Overseer from Blue. The Machine God of Geode holds Yellow's Terramancer's Gauntlets. Sprout Brussels of Purethrogild has Magenta's Hat of Many Faces. And Luminid Dawnspear of Dragon has the Prismatic Pendant of Red. And all of these people, save for Luminid Dawnspear, were placed into a seat of power in their cities. Now, under this new form of leadership, the five cities thrived and their cultures developed under the care of the relic holders. The leaders, powerful as they are, never left their cities to meet. In fact, it is unknown whether or not the five leaders knew the others existed at the time. That all changed with the arrival of Sarath, the Carrion King. In the earliest fantasy, known as the Age of Awakening, there was a prophecy that foretold of the arrival of a Carrion King a being that would bring destruction and ruin to fantasy. Just as the five rulers became comfortable in their new roles, an immensely powerful demon known as Serath arrived in what is now known as the Land of Ruin. Lumina and Arthur, beings that were created by Red and Blue to defend early fantasy from the presence of demons, felt Serath's presence and rushed to ruin. The two relic wielders met for the first time and unleashed their full power on the demon lord. This battle marked the first time a relic wielder had ever used their full power, and yet it was still not enough. The two were defeated by the demon and were forced to retreat. The two knew that they would need more strength in order to overcome Sarath, and Arthur knew exactly where to find it. Arthur's relic, the Azure Eyes of the Overseer, allows him to see all of fantasy at once. Arthur quickly spotted the other three relic wielders in their cities and requested that Lumina accompany him in asking them for their aid in defeating Sarath. The two traveled first to Moon Crescent, imploring the help of the Paralune, Moon Queen, closest one to the moon, whatever you prefer, Nymphaea Lacus. 
Lumina's lighthearted nature thawed the icy intensity of Ninfea, and she agreed to join their party. The three moved on to Purethra Guild and met the eternally jolly Sprout Brussels, who was more than happy to lend his strength to their cause. Finally, the group visited the Great Mountain of Geode and implored the Machine God to complete their party. After the four met with a mechanized proxy who spoke for the Machine God, the Relic Wielder of Geode agreed to leave the mountain for what would be the first and only time. And so the five Relic Wielders were assembled, and Arthur, ever the outspoken, named the team the Five Jeweled Crown. The crown traveled back to the region the Demon Lord had claimed. The five found the Serath had corrupted and twisted the region, breathing sinister and otherworldly life into the land itself, creating an army. Serath's devastating power was called Ruin, and it was fantasy's first encounter with a being of order energy. The five jeweled crown met Serath in a cataclysmic battle. Over the course of the clash, the order power of Ruin against the chaos energy of the crown would cause permanent damage to the landscape. When the dust settled, the five-jeweled crown was victorious, and Serath faded into the ether. The region where the battle took place was twisted by Serath's energy, and despite the machine god's best effort, the effects could not be reversed. After the damage of the battle, the ley lines could no longer reach the region, cutting it off from the power of magic. This massive part of the world would become the Land of Ruin, said to be uninhabitable and barren. After the battle, the Age of the Five Jeweled Crown truly began. While travel among the cities was still almost non-existent, Arthur and Nymphaea decided to begin holding grand festivals in each region. The goal of these festivals was to introduce the culture of one city to another. The first festival, for example, brought Iron Hill to Moon Crescent. Arthur packed up and brought the finest restaurateurs, brewmasters, farmers, entertainers, and educators from Iron Hill to introduce their home to Moon Crescent. This tradition of festivals went on for some time, and when Nymphaealakis came to Dragon, the fabled love between her and Lumina Dawnspear began. The love the two shared for one another reacted with the prism pendant, the relic that Lumina held, and millions of beams of light poured out from the crystal all over fantasy. These beams of light touched down and became humans. Now when the time for festivals was over, and Nymphaea settled back into Moon Crescent, she began to feel conflicted. After traveling the world and seeing how other regions live, she felt for the elves of Moon Crescent. The tides placed all elves into a cycle of low and high, weakness and strength that endlessly alternate. Nymphaea wanted to free the elves from the tidal cycle once and for all, and so she began writing The Nocturne, a song that hoped to charm the moon and end the tidal cycle. Nymphaealakis was not just the leader of Moon Crescent, but also a brilliant and powerful bard. Her harp, Perigee, orbited her at all times like a tiny moon. She had decided to lock herself away in her home, a tower called Lunaflora, and write a song that would stop the tidal cycle. After some time, she composed The Nocturne, a massively powerful song that had the power to stop the tides. Nymphaea hoped that her song would charm the moon, the source of all tides, and pull it across the sky, placing it in front of the sun. As long as the song continually played on her harp, the moon would continue to listen, never move, and therefore would never create another tide. 
The nocturne accomplished its intended purpose, and the moon crossed the morning sky and placed itself in front of the sun before the tower Lunaflora. The seas of fantasy crashed loudly beneath the tower, and as the moon demanded their silence, the seas were still, and the tides were no more. But as the moon blocked the sun, the nocturne's music that was carried on the wind turned icy cold. It was not long before the entire region of Moon Crescent was encased in ice and snow. But the effects of the Nocturne were not limited to Moon Crescent, as all of fantasy was now facing an ice age. All over the world, people were suffering as a result of the Nocturne. The frozen winds from Moon Crescent chilled the entire world and pushed fantasy toward the brink of collapse. Finally, Arthur, the King of Iron Hill, had seen enough. He traveled to Moon Crescent to try and stop Nymphaea from continuing to play the Nocturne. When he arrived, he found Nymphaea at the top of her tower. The two exchanged words, Nymphaea telling Arthur that despite the unintended disaster, she would not stop playing the Nocturne. Nymphaea wanted more than anything to end the title cycle and requested that Arthur give her more time to fix things. But Arthur had seen enough. He had come to Moon Crescent that day to bring the King's Peace, Arthur's lighthearted term for a grim action eliminating a threat to the planet. And so the two dueled atop the surface of the newly stilled ocean, Arthur wielding his katana named Tranquility, and Nymphaea with her dagger, Harvest. In the end, Arthur struck down Nymphaea. And as he did, the music of the Nocturne stopped. The moon's hold over the waters of fantasy were released, and the tides returned. Nymphaea's body fell into the lagoon of Moon Crescent, a body of water that would forever be known as the Sea of Sorrow. This battle marked the end of the Age of the Five Jeweled Crown. Woof! Thanks, everybody, for joining me. Uh, that was a doozy. Um, next time we do this, I'm probably going to include what happens next with Creation of the Veil, the Flying of Dragon, and the Battle of Iron Hill, um, because that truly leads to what modern fantasy is considered. But yeah, thanks for joining me on this history lesson of the Age of the Five Jeweled Crown. Please, please, please do not forget to, one, tell a friend about our show. It's the greatest way we can kind of build our audience and get new listeners because we need y'all to send us amazing character, story, world prompts, whatever you want. But feel free to spam away. You can do that on our Discord, our Twitter, everything. We have a link tree on our Twitter. Click that and find all things All My Fantasy Children. Thanks for hanging out with me. I love you. Goodbye. <laughs>